0: guys doing all right? Doing all right? Yeah, you're still kind of sleeping it off. I understand. Um, I hope you had a phenomenal Thanksgiving and uh, hope that you got a a chance to be with family. And if you're new here because you're visiting family and you thought, oh, we'll come check out Crosswalk, welcome. We're glad to have you. My name is Pastor Tim Gillespie. I'm the lead pastor here at Crosswalk Redlands, and I'm the teaching pastor for our Crosswalk Global Network of Churches, which, um, if all goes according to plan, we'll have 10 sites just in this union by the middle of next year, um, which is pretty incredible. God is moving pretty powerfully. Yeah, yeah, you can clap for that. Um, God is moving pretty powerfully in um, this network, and it's, it's fascinating. I was working on my calendar this year um, to figure out how many times I'll be here and how many times I'll have to be at other sites, and um, I could never be here almost, it feels like. Because we're, especially now that we're doing sites in other parts of the world, I don't know, like, it's, it takes a while to get to certain places. And, like, Indonesia's a super long ways away. Um, but I think we've worked it out that I'm going to be here the majority of the time, which I'm really excited about. Um, but I got to tell you, it's just a blessing to serve at this church as, we, as this church serves the world, quite honestly. It's pretty amazing, and, um, and so I try to live a life that is full of gratitude as much as possible because it's really easy to live a life that, um, that doesn't look like that, but there's some statistics on gratitude, and this being the Thanksgiving weekend, of course we're going to talk about gratitude a little bit, um, but a large study that was conducted by Virginia Commonwealth University showed that thankfulness predicted a significantly lower risk of major depression generalized anxiety disorder, phobia, nicotine dependence, alcohol dependence, and drug abuse. Um, That's pretty phenomenal that just being thankful for what you have, regardless of what it is, actually makes us into healthier people. Harvard Health had another study, and it says in this one study, one group wrote about things that they were grateful for that had occurred during the week. A second group wrote about daily irritations, or things that had displeased them. And the third wrote about events that had affected them, with no emphasis on being positive or negative. After 10 weeks, those who wrote about gratitude were more optimistic and felt better about their lives. Surprisingly, they also exercised more and had fewer visits to physicians than those focused on sources of aggravation. Now, if you're not sure what kind of person you are, if you're not sure if you're a person that's full of gratitude or if you're a person that likes to call out all the irritations in your life, just go back and look at your text messages and see what they look like. It's a shocking thing. Um, The first time I ever heard about this, I was at a funeral um, for uh, my high school basketball coach, a great man, I've mentioned him before, and um, he, he died way too early, and so we were at his funeral, and all, all the guys that have played basketball for him over the years were there. Uh, Richard Hamilton was his name. And the pastor got up and said, do you want to know what kind of man Richard Hamilton was? And we all knew what kind of man he was, but he said, let me tell you what he was. And he went back to his last 10 emails that he sent to people. Now, if somebody did that to you, what would you look like at the end of that? Maybe wonderful, you might be one, wonder- maybe just somebody who likes to buy a lot on, um, on Black Friday, I don't know. But he went back and he read the encouragement that Mr. Hamilton had given over his last 10 emails. And they were profound because he was gonna make sure that everybody knew at the end of a, in, at the end of a conversation with him, whether it was on email or whether it was in person that you were cared for, that you were loved, that he was grateful for you being in his life. And he was the healthiest man I'd ever met, honestly. The fact that he died of a massive heart attack while he was riding a bike was just shocking. But what we know is this, gratitude is simply healthier, right? And it allows us to live a life that is counter to the culture that we have been given Because the truth is, gratitude is not most people's first go-to. And in fact, we have a tendency to think about, well, they're the opposite of gratitude. So what is the opposite of gratitude? And it's an interesting question, because as I thought about it and as I studied it a little bit, the word that shows up on a Google search is simple, right? It's just ingratitude. It's not gratitude, it's ingratitude. However, that doesn't really feel like it's enough, Right? Because ingratitude means to lack proper appreciation or thanks for something. But that doesn't really encapsulate what the opposite of gratitude is. This is just being unthankful or ungrateful. I believe that the opposite of gratitude is entitlement. Right? And if it's not the opposite, it's definitely the enemy of gratitude. And I hope this word doesn't trigger anybody. Um, because sometimes words do that, but it's kind of come into the national rubric in another form, right? The idea of privilege, right? So I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on that. I'm not making a political statement, but entitlement can be translated into privilege. And the opposite of gratitude, I do believe, is entitlement. And there's really two definitions of entitlement. It's the belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment And it's the fact of having a right to something. And here's the problem. Entitlement always eclipses gratitude. The two cannot exist simultaneously. Entitlement means you are owed something. It is your right, and you should have it because of who you are. You were who you were born to because of who you are, who you were born to, or what you already have. If you want to see this on a massive scale, just Go into an airport and watch the people who have status when they fly. Now, I'm one of those people. And I absolutely will tell you this. I have a massive sense of entitlement when I walk in and I am a diamond member, right? And then why does someone else get to go before me? I'm the guy who flew all these miles. I'm the guy who spent all this money. I'm the guy who should be bumped up to first class. You know those screens when it says upgrades? Like, I know exactly what mine is, and when I see that I'm almost in first class, it does something to my soul. I become less of a good person. I'm certainly not happy for my seating comfort plus, even though it's not in the main cabin, so I should be a little happy. But I'm not, because I believe I deserve that other thing. I am entitled to that. That's what all my card spend on American Express says I can do right? I should be that guy. And when you have to walk through the first class cabin, when you've been the next person to be upgraded, but it didn't happen, the people look at you and they know who you are, it feels like. Because they look at you like, "Mm, that's right, I got it. And you're like, "Uh, you don't deserve it. I deserve it. Why? For no other reason than I've spent way too much money on Delta. Entitlement always eclipses gratitude. They cannot exist simultaneously. You see, when you are entitled, opportunities become a right, not a gift. Now listen, opportunity is priceless. And having a chance to do something that maybe you hadn't done before, your parents hadn't done before, get an opportunity that you've been given, it's a gift, not an entitlement. The truth is, I have access to education, to medical care, clean water, electricity, safe housing, well-paid jobs, and as much food as I need or please. I can follow my passions if I want to, and I have the opportunity to create my life how I choose. I am privileged, not just for what I have, but for the opportunities that have been given to me. By forgetting I have these opportunities, I'm behaving with entitlement, as if these things are owed to me. And you know, that's a lot of the national conversation that we have. Because people with a lot of opportunities have a tendency to think people who don't have all the opportunities do, and they're just not availing themselves of those opportunities. And that's a misunderstanding. That's living life through entitlement, assuming that everyone else has the same opportunities you do. You just got, you were just a little better at using those opportunities. By the way, it creates a two or three or four-tiered system that is not of God. It's definitely of the world, right? Just to use, again, the stupid metaphor of the plane, not everybody seems to be able to get on the plane at the same time. And when those who are in first class assume that the people in the back just didn't check in on time, they misunderstood. Or they were on Southwest, which means, you know, So Jesus speaks of entitlement, actually, right after he throws over the tables. Last week, Pastor Dave, and I hope you guys enjoyed Pastor Dave, he's such a phenomenal pastor, and we're so lucky to have him over in Chattanooga. He was with us last week, and he spoke about Jesus turning over, throwing over the tables. Well, the parable that Jesus tells us right after this is pretty important when it comes to the idea of gratitude and entitlement. So I'll be reading from Matthew 22, uh, starting at verse 1. I read from the New Living Translation. That's what we use here. But you feel free to read from whatever translation you like. More will certainly have it on the screen. It starts like this. Jesus also told them other parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by a story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. Now, I know a little something about this. My daughter's getting married in March. And so we are in the midst of wedding preparation. And I gotta tell you, weddings don't just happen. Right, there's a lot of thought, there's a lot of care, and I'm learning this because I thought weddings just happened. I've been involved in like well over 200 weddings, and I just show up and the weddings are happening. It's great as a pastor, but there's a whole lot of work that goes into it, I have found out. Like you have to decide what kind of cutlery you're gonna use, you have to decide what tables, what shape you want the tables, like where everything's gonna be, it's a lot. So. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by a story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. So this is a big deal. And um, he's ready now. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. Now, we need to take a moment there. So this wasn't an invitation to come to the wedding. He'd already sent The invitations these people knew the wedding was coming they just weren't sure exactly when it was going to be prepared well it's finally prepared it's finally ready so Jesus or sorry the king now sends out the messengers to those who had already said they were going to come but what happens they all refuse to come and as you know in the ancient Middle East like a wedding was not like a wedding we have here here weddings are a matter of hours right and, and, and we go to them, and we hang out for a while at the reception, and then we go home. In the ancient Middle East, a wedding was a matter of days, right? You, you hung out with the people. You lived with them for a while. It was days and days of having a great time of partying and celebrating. So this is a big deal. The preparation is tenfold compared to what we do today. He had already invited these people. They had said they were going to come. That's why he sent messengers to say, okay, it's time. So why did they refuse to come? Well, they were taking for granted the opportunity. They either thought too much of themselves or they didn't realize the gift that had been given them through this invitation. In fact, some were so calloused that they actually killed the messengers. We'll get to that in just a second. So what did the, what did the king do? He sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared. The bulls have fattened and the cattle have been killed and everything is ready. It's time to come to the banquet. He tries it again. Don't they see the opportunity for joy, for feasting, for camaraderie? The invitation comes with love and hopefulness, and they refuse, and they refuse mightily. But the guests he had invited ignored them or went their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. In the Lucan account, it gets a little more specific about what they were doing. So it got so bad that others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. Now, this is just downright rude, right? Maybe the king was not important enough. Maybe he was a smaller vassal king. He wasn't a bigger king. Maybe the invitation wasn't fancy enough, or the people were just too arrogant to see the opportunity. Now, there's a text in the Matthew account that's coming right next that we don't have in the Lucan account, right? The Lucan account is kind of like the king just does the next thing. In In the Mathian account, we call it, it says this. The king was furious, and he sent his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. I don't really know what to do with this part. I'm not going to lie. I was studying this, and I'm like, how can I work this in? This is just a mad king, right? What's interesting is that he didn't kill everyone. He just killed the ones who murdered them. So there's some justice involved here. I think we can just kind of lean and lay it at that piece. But, um, but it's tough, right? The king was frustrated by their unwillingness to come and also their aggression towards his. And I gotta tell you, that's incredible entitlement to think that somebody else is less than you are. To think that somehow they are dehumanized to the point where you would harm them or kill them because they are not as important as you are. And he said to his servants, and you know this part, the wedding feast is ready. And the guests I invited aren't even worthy of the honor. Like they shouldn't even be here. I can't believe I invited them. We lose our right to the invitation when we believed we are entitled to it, or we think we are better than it. And I gotta tell you, the invitation to the kingdom of God is an interesting thing because it is met very differently from different groups of people. The gospel has a tendency to grow where people don't have much. And the reason why the gospel grows where people don't have much is they see it for the opportunity and the gift that it is. But as we move into first world countries, and this is, I'm painting with a broad brush here, so, so bear with me. But as we move into first world countries, as we move into countries where people have all the food that they need, where people don't need community in the same way, where people um, have feel like they made their own lives, they've pulled themselves up and they've created the life that they wanted to lead and it's something that they did, they have a tendency to thwart the invitation of the gospel because they feel like they did it themselves and they're entitled to what they now have. And if you don't believe me, just look at the statistics of church growth. Do you know that in North America, these stats just came out at the year-end meeting, do you know that in North America in the Seventh-day Adventist church, the average size of the church is 53 people? The average size, that's including churches like ours and churches like Loma Linda University Church, which has 6,000 members. The average size of a church in the Seventh-day Adventist world in North America is 53 people. Is that because the gospel changed? Is that because, is that because people no longer need the invitation? We see this in, in European countries. We see this in Australia. The, the, the feelings of need for the gospel become less and less. They are diminished as people do better and better for themselves. Now that's not really fair to say you need to have nothing to see that the gospel is good, but statistically that's what's happened. See, the king said to his his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but the guests I invited they're not even worthy of the honor. When we think we did it all ourselves and we're entitled to what we get because of who we are, because of what we've done, we are living with entitlement, not humility, and certainly not gratitude. And when that happens, our need for the gospel diminishes. And so what does the king say here? The king says, okay, so Now go to the street corners and invite everyone. Go to the margins of society. Go to the alleyways and the places where people don't want to go. Particularly people of entitlement wouldn't find themselves. Go find those people and invite everyone you see. Go to the alleyways. Go under bridges. So what did the servants do? The servants brought in food. Brought, Brought in everyone they could find. Good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. So here's the interesting thing. It feels like God's gonna fill his banquet hall no matter what. The question becomes, will you be there? This parable teaches us something about all those who are too comfortable in their standing with the king. See, they didn't just take the party for granted. They took the king for granted. It wasn't just the opportunity to have some good food. It was an opportunity to be with the king. The good news, it's meant for the hungry and the full. But for some reason, the hungry are more open to it. It's for those who would drop everything for an invitation to the banquet. When we lose sight of the radical grace of the invitation that we've been given, we've forgotten who we are. You know, who actually never forgot about the radical grace that he was given. It was Paul. He never forgot it, and he was radically grateful for it. So now we're going to jump out of the Gospel account in Matthew, and we're going to move over to Philippians. Philippians is one of my favorite books. But you have to understand who Paul was, and this is pretty important. Paul was part of the ruling class of Hebrew society right? He was a Pharisee, so he had every single opportunity that could have been given to someone in that society. He had education. He knew all the right people. He at some point got into an administrative role because they actually said, hey, why don't you go deal with these Christians? So he was given a responsibility. This is somebody who was well-respected and had probably made himself who he was because of the work that he had done and also the place where he had been born and the family he had been born to. But then we find himself at the end of his ministry in the Mamertine prison in Rome, probably the worst place you could be in Rome, writing a letter to the Philippian church and writing an incredibly positive letter because he understood the grace that he had been given. And he understood how to live counterculturally through gratitude. So it says this in the Philippians 4, 3, it says, And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, whose names are written in the book of life. So he's encouraging radical grace and invitation when it comes to those who minister with him, asking the Christians in Philippi to welcome and help Iota and Synchthis and, and Clement and the rest of my co-workers. And he says, listen, we've been working hard, so just welcome them in because of what they've done for the kingdom. And then he says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Now, Paul is weirdly effervescent for the fact that he's writing from prison. He's like, this is great. And we know how these texts culminate, right? These texts culminate in, in the famous text, Philippians 4, um, 11 through 13, right? Where it says, I, I've found the secret of being content, whether in plenty or in want, whether well-fed or hungry, whether clothed or naked. I can do all things in him who strengthened me. But this is the beginning and the run-up to that. And he says, listen, I want you to take care of these people because we want to be grateful for the things that they have done for the kingdom. And then he says, listen, let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord's coming soon. Live with gratitude and grace. Live differently. Don't be entitled of anything. And he says, you know what, don't even worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. See, he understands his own invitation, an opportunity to receive grace and to receive the invitation, he's like, listen, all we have, all we have is gratitude for what God has already done. Give to God what you need, but then he doesn't even say, and thank him for what he's about to give you. He just says, thank you for what he's done. You already have received enough to be grateful for. You've already received an overwhelming amount of love, of grace, of hope, You've, you've received an incredible amount of community, of family. You've received the gift of salvation from God. And he says, listen, when you do this, when you live with gratitude, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we understand. Paul's writing from prison saying, I understand what peace and grace and hope is, and I am in a hopeless, very unpeaceful, horrible place but I live with peace, grace, and gratitude. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus, not as things go well, not as you get what you deserve, not as you get what you don't even deserve, not as you walk around feeling like you should have something. You're just gonna be okay because you've given yourself over to Jesus Christ. It's the peace that comes from not having everything but being given more. See entitlement. The problem is, it doesn't even understand what it needs. The things that it needs are in such a diminished role in our lives. Because sitting in first class on a Delta flight is nothing compared to salvation, or to hope, or to compassion, or to joy, or community, or worship. And Paul. It's profoundly grateful. And then he says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about those things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So think about those gifts that you've been given, not those absences of things you don't have the great things that God has done that makes your praise make sense. Keep putting into practice all you have learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Paul's profoundly grateful. And it almost sounds like he's a little arrogant there, I understand, but he's like, listen, I'm so blessed that I get to live in that peace that I'm talking about. So if you're having a hard time finding it, look at the life that I've led. It has not been easy, it has not been simple, it has not been even without suffering, but I'm so grateful for it. He knows he does not deserve this grace. He is a model of gratitude and he doesn't know it. Because I think he was sitting in that prison going, I can't believe I'm okay. I can't believe that in the midst of this, I'm okay because there's no reason I should be. I think he's constantly surprised that things are still okay in the midst of all his suffering. You see, gratitude is more than just being thankful. Gratitude is living in the wonder of God's grace. Constantly amazed and overwhelmingly humbled by it. Often reflecting on how lucky and how unworthy we are. Entitlement is believing you are more worthy because we are this person or this race or this religion or this socioeconomic class or this nationality or this gender or this orientation or this educated. We all find reasons to be entitled as that is what the culture tells us to be. But the parable reminds us that The meal is all prepared. And the invitations have gone out. So now are you going to come? All the ways that our entitlement gets in the way of our gratitude are exactly the reason God says, listen, not everyone's going to say yes to this invitation. So I'm going to make sure I stack the deck. I'm going to give a grace that is available to all, to everyone who hears it. The meal is all prepared. Come to the wedding party. Because in truth, we are all given the same opportunity to come to the banquet. No one gets to heaven first on the first bus or the first plane or in first class seats. We are all given the opportunity to come be in the presence of God. And the presence of God is the great equalizer. And this is why we say when you come to Crosswalk, it's a community of belonging, because you all belong. There's no first class seats unless we set the seats up wrong, they're all the same. And the opportunity for you to come and worship, find peace, hope, and joy, find community who doesn't ask first, what do you have, but ask who are you and how can we love you more? That's what it means to be living in gratitude in the grace of God. And as the presence of God creates an equality and an equity among us, we are able to leave all that entitlement at the door because it doesn't matter anymore. It is false that if grace is given to everybody, it's no longer special. It actually means that it's ubiquitous. It's prevailing, and it is overwhelming in its power that we are all invited into that relationship with Jesus Christ. So hopefully, if you've accepted the invitation before, this is the message that says, hey, just so you know, the meal's ready. It's time to come in. It's time to join the party that we got ready for you, that we prepared for you. Don't take it for granted. Know that the invitation was directly for you. And know how much God loves you as power heads. Lord, in this season of Thanksgiving, I guess we just say thanks. Um, because what you've given us transcends any seasons. It transcends a meal or a moment and it becomes the overwhelming presence in our lives. So Lord, might we not only accept your invitation, but recognize that the time has come, that the banquet is prepared and it's ready, the meal is ready. So let us walk through the gates of your kingdom with thanksgiving and praise. And Lord, Many of us may be in our own Mamertine prisons. We may be in really difficult spots. Give us the peace that transcends our understanding that can only come from the gratitude that we recognize. So thank you. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.